But I'm glad you're here this morning as we continue our study through the season of Advent. We've talked about the idea of repentance two weeks ago, and then yesterweek, yesterweek, last week, we talked about the idea of fulfillment. We saw that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God from Scripture. But today, I'm excited because today is going to be a message full of good things. Today, we get to think about joy. Joy. So if you have a Bible, find Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We'll get to that in just a bit. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So at Christmas time, we sing songs like, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We repeat the sounding joy. But joy is something that should resonate deep within the heart of every believer, not just in Christmas time, but all the time. If we're honest, though, sometimes we are not full of joy. Uh, We live lives in a broken world, and we can't imagine at times being joyful as we go through different circumstances or situations. Some of us have experienced great loss, great hardship. Our lives are difficult. Sometimes we live with great shame or maybe guilt over our sin or some other effect of the fall, and it seems as though we will never have real joy. Joy seems to be more of a dream than a reality. Well, today I want to encourage all of us to know that joy is constantly offered to you and me in Christ. Joy is constantly offered. We can choose to receive it and live in light of it even now. So this morning, my my hope and my prayer is that all of us would be people who love Christ and are full of joy. Before we go any further, though, we need to define our terms because I'm using the word joy, and you may have a thought, I may have a thought that's different as we think about that word. So what does joy mean? We should know that joy is a quality. It's not merely an emotion. So it's not less than an emotion, right? You can do something that you enjoy and you find yourself having joy. That, that's totally fine. You can, I can ask you, how do you feel? And you can say, well, I feel great. I feel like I'm just full of joy. Like I'm surrounded by family. I'll, t- I'll tell you, uh, yesterday morning, my, my grandmother got to meet my son for the first time in person. So he's almost six weeks old. Uh, this is great grandbaby number 12 for her. And so seeing her holding my son, that filled me with joy and also filled her with joy. Uh, like that, That's totally fine. That's this kind of emotive response to things that are happening around us. That's great. That's wonderful. But joy is more than merely an emotion. It's not just something that wells up inside of us. It's also something that marks us, something that we choose to embrace, choose to use. It's a state of contentment and gladness particularly in God and His blessings. All right, so let me say that again. Joy is a state of contentment and gladness, usually, particularly, in God and His blessings. That's where we get real joy. Because God is a God of joy. He is infinitely, eternally joyful. And His joy overflows 
into his creation. It's why the Heidelberg Catechism asks in the first question, what is the chief end of man? For the last couple of centuries, churches have used this catechism, this this little uh, primer for learning to train their children how to know Christ and to follow him. And the first question it asks is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why were you created? The answer is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were created to enjoy God. You were created to live a life full of joy. And God wants us, even now, to experience joy in Him. So let's see this morning how that plays out in our lives. I only have two points for you this morning, and they're, they're really basic. They're not super profound. They're not going to be really clever, but hopefully they'll be an encouragement to you. The first one is this. The story of Scripture is a story of joy. The story of Scripture is a story of joy. The Bible begins with the joy of a creator God overflowing into his creation. And after every day of creation in Genesis chapter 1, we hear God say, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. Students, God didn't create the world because he had some kind of lack in himself. It's not as though God were existing in eternity and in one instance of eternity, decided, I'm kind of lonely. I'm kind of bored. There's not really a whole lot to do out in the nothing. So I'm going to make a world. Like that's that's not how creation happened. No, God has eternally existed in perfect unity and fellowship as the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the one God who exists in three persons. And this mutual indwelling, this mutual giving and receiving of love and gratitude and fellowship and joy overflows in abundance. And God creates. He creates a universe that might enjoy what he enjoys, which is himself. He he creates humanity that they might have relationship with him like the Father has a relationship with the Son. It's why, John's, it's why Jesus says in John 17, God, let them be one as you and I are one. So God didn't create out of some kind of lack in himself. It was because of an abundance. And the abundance is joy. So in the beginning, Adam and Eve enjoyed God as they enjoyed their role as image bearers of God. But the fall in Genesis 3 stole away joy and replaced it in Adam and Eve's heart with sorrow and shame. So from Genesis 3 onward, the Bible is the story of a great, powerful, joyful God piercing through the brokenness of human history with promises of good news and blessings and hope of the joy to come. And that brings us to our first text in Luke chapter 2. So pick up with me in verse 8. It says, and in the same region of where Jesus was just born, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we are excited and humbled and grateful to come before your throne of grace in our time of need, knowing that we will find what we need, mercy and grace. And we, we come before you this morning confessing, God, our hearts are not always joyful. Sometimes it's so easy to look at our circumstances, to look at our own sin, to look at our own brokenness and sinful desires, and the joy seems fleeting and far away from us. It seems rare. But Father, I pray we might see this morning that in you, we see the source of all joy. And from you, the giver of all good gifts, we might have joy in this life as a promise and a guarantee of the eternal joy that we will experience with you forever and ever. So Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to get a full understanding of what joy is and how we might have it in this life so that we might glorify you and enjoy you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the shepherds out watching their flocks by night, minding their own business, right? They're not doing anything out of the ordinary. They're just watching some sheep. And the angel of the Lord shows up. And the glory of the Lord surrounds them. And in one of the greatest phrases that of, of underestimation, I think, that exists in all of Scripture, it says, they were filled with great fear. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were on their faces. You remember Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and I said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I mean, Isaiah sees the Lord, and he's like, man, I'm about to get blasted. I'm about to get destroyed, because I'm a sinner, God is holy, I should not exist right here. And in the same vein, the shepherds are watching their flocks by night. Uh, in those days, shepherds actually didn't have the best reputation. Uh, shepherd, uh, a shepherd would have been seen as a very lower uh, job. The actual role of a shepherd was kind of seen as a sketchy job because these people were hired hands. They didn't own those sheep. They don't know those sheep. They don't really care for those sheep. They're just trying to make some money. And so they're filled with great fear. But the angel does not have a message of fear. He says, fear not. I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Students, the news of the gospel, this good news is news of great joy. The advent of Jesus Christ, his coming to earth as a baby boy uh, swaddled in a manger should lead us to joy. Why? Because through Jesus, as we saw last week, all of God's promises are being fulfilled. So, so think about this. Because of the incarnation, the Son of God putting on flesh, we have been freed from sin. Because of the incarnation, we have been spared the wrath of God. Because of the incarnation, we have been adopted into God's family. Because of the incarnation, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. Because of the incarnation, death is no longer a dreadful, eternal thing for us. Its sting has been removed forever. Because of the incarnation, we now have a Lord who is like us in every way and who knows what it's like to struggle in this broken world, who is with us and for us. Because of the incarnation, we have the promise of an eternal inheritance with God in heaven. 
Because of the incarnation, we can have victory today over sin in our life. I hope you see the point. The coming of Jesus is good news of great joy because we have a Savior. We have someone who has rescued us from our sin and our guilt and our sorrow and our shame and has offered us new life in Him. And the Scriptures, before and after Christ's advent, give us this kind of stereo image of this great joy. So in Acts chapter 13, we we read that, that God fills the believers particularly with two things, the Holy Spirit and joy that they might go out and be faithful witnesses to the gospel. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Right, So this joy isn't just this passive emotion. We feel that when good things happen, we we are joyful. No, it's a, a conscious decision, according to Paul in Philippians 4. It's a decision that we make to find our contentment and delight in the Lord. And that brings us to, to Psalm 37, 4. A really good verse for you to memorize. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Students, God has been revealing since the beginning, and even finishes His revelation with abundant joy. Delight in the Lord. And you will have the desires of your heart. How do I delight in the Lord? According to Psalm 37.4. I'm going to argue that, that I delight, I enjoy, I rejoice in those things or ideas or people. I delight in what I find to be beautiful. So what do you delight in? What do you enjoy? What causes you to rejoice? Those things in your life that you find beautiful. Now, when I say beautiful, I'm not saying handsome or pretty or cute, right? Beauty is a lot more than than physical attraction. Beauty is this quality that has all these things filled within it, things like holiness and righteousness and goodness and love. God is beautiful. And when we delight in the Lord, when we find God beautiful, we will begin to notice the things of this world that lead us to God as beautiful. More on that in a little bit. Listen to Revelation 19 and this picture of the inauguration of the new creation. This is what it says in in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The story of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is a story of joy. One day, we will perfectly delight in our Savior, 
forever and ever. But we get to preview the joy of the new creation now in this life because the first advent of Christ, we now can have joy today. Which leads us to my second point. Story of Scripture is a story of joy. Number two, now we can rejoice in all things. We can rejoice in all things. So I said earlier, to rejoice is to delight. And what do we delight in? We delight in those things that are beautiful. When we behold something as beautiful, it causes us to have joy. I mean that the pages of the Bible show us things that are beautiful. They show us brothers and sisters living joyfully in the midst of a variety of situations and circumstances. So I've already mentioned Philippians 4 when Paul says to rejoice, when he commands the Philippians to rejoice. But in Philippians 4, it also gives us relationships. So let me just read to you Philippians chapter 4. And think about Paul writing this from prison. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, beloved. Paul seems to think that the relationship that he has with the Christians in Philippi is a source of joy. That these deep relationships are a source of of joy. In, in 3 John verses 3 and 4, when John hears the testimony of God's work in someone else's life, he's filled with joy. James summarizes well in James 1, 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, what James is telling us and what Paul and John are showing us as examples is that all the good things we have in this life and all the good things we experience are causes for us to rejoice. They are causes for us to have and to choose joy. They're like little vehicles that take us back where? To the glory of God, the giver of all these good things. So the good things that we enjoy are not to terminate on themselves. So I can enjoy a good friendship. But ultimately, I enjoy this good friendship because this good friendship points me to Christ, points me to God. It points me to the one who has given me this gift of a good friendship. If I put my joy and the weight of my joy on that relationship, that relationship will crumble. Because that relationship is not meant to hold the weight of my heart. It's not meant to hold the weight of where I find my true joy. If I put my joy in my work, I love my job. I love doing this every week, being able to teach the Bible and and minister to students and get to know parents and and sing with the congregation and, and lead at times and preach at times. I love doing this stuff. But if I put my joy in my work, then one day, eventually, sooner rather than later, I will be totally let down 
totally let down. Because this job is not the source of my joy. This job is a gift. And the source of my joy is not the gift. It's the giver of that gift. You can talk about relationships. You can talk about family. You can talk about uh, achievements. You can talk about possessions. You can talk about security. You can talk about pleasure. You can talk about adventure. Whatever it is, all of these things are gifts. And they should lead you to joy, but they are not the source of your joy. We don't have to over-spiritualize it. Joy in this life can be from pretty ordinary things. If we have an awareness that God is the giver of all good gifts in our life, then a good meal will lead us to rejoice. Right? Like a really good steak, some blue cheese on it. You know what I'm talking about? A little mashed potato, a little asparagus. Like praise Jesus. Like we, get, we get to eat that. Right? I mean, for some of you, like, pizza that's not a day old, like, fresh from Pizza Hut or Domino's or whatever it is you get your pizza. Right? It should cause you to rejoice. These things that we enjoy, we recognize as gifts. A good nap leads to joy. Right? As a new parent, let me just tell you, getting some uninterrupted sleep is a gift from the Lord. It's wonderful. But even as a high school student or a college student, man, like there are times, you ever had this kind of thing where it happened, but maybe it's at summer, when like you have a nap, you go lay down, lie down, you take a nap, you wake up and like you don't really know where you are. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, what just happened? That's a gift. A gift that God would give you for rest. A good book, a good game, good weather, a good conversation with someone you love, good work that you can accomplish. All of these things can be conduits to joy in God because He's the one who has given them to you. But our world and our flesh want us to put our joy in the gifts rather than the giver because our flesh and the world deny a giver. All that there is are the gifts. So you better put your hope or your joy in those things. So I can rejoice according to the world. If I do really, really well on this exam or really, really well on my ACT, but what if I don't do well? Where has my joy gone? It's evaporated because I've put my joy in something that wasn't meant to carry the joy in and of itself. If I tie my joy directly to the thing rather than the giver of that thing, then my joy will be fickle and weak and elusive. The world has no concept of rejoicing in all things because they don't realize that they're coming from a good, joyful giver. And if we realize that all of the things that we have in this life come from a good and joyful giver, then it, mets, it allows us to rejoice not just in good things, but in all things. In all things. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, it is not strange that you would endure trial, but rejoice. 
insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says to you and me, like he said to the elect exiles among the dispersion, when you suffer fiery trials, when you go through hardship in this life, it is a cause for you to rejoice. Because just like the good things, the hard things as well point us to the giver. They point us here to Christ. James says something very similar. He says, count it all joy in verse 2 of chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Students, when we realize that all things that we receive come from the hand of a sovereign, provident God who is in himself good and faithful and kind and gracious and joyful, then we can trust that all the things that take place in my life have a purpose from this good giver. So all of the things I experience in my life can lead to joy. So you may experience hardship. You may experience a crushing loss or a crushing defeat, or you may experience something that you think is totally unfair. If you have an awareness that the reason why you're experiencing these things is because God's sovereign hand is guiding you through his providence, then you can ask the question, a different question than the question of this world. The question of this world is, I don't deserve this, so why is this happening to me? Or what should I get out of this because I've endured such hardship? We're, we're all about me, all about what I'm owed, all about what I demand, what I'm entitled to. But when we understand that all things come from a good giver's hand, we can ask the question, Lord, what are you trying to show me? God, you are infinitely glorious, infinitely wonderful, infinitely joyful, and the Son of God, who is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who also experienced crushing loss, who also experienced seemingly crushing defeat, who also was treated extremely unfairly, yet was the most joyful, content person who has ever lived. So God, what are you trying to teach me in my trial? What in this can, can lead me to rejoice in you? Are, you? are you reminding me? Are you showing me that in the midst of this hardship, you are closer to me than a brother? Are you showing me that, that this is a, a light momentary affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory? So the, the depths of the pain that I feel right now, are you just showing me how much better eternal life with you is going to be? We can ask a different question that leads us to joy in all things because we know where all things come from. The whole of your life is held in the hands of a God who is working on you for his glory and your own joy so that you might glorify him and enjoy him forever. The beauty of Advent is that Christ came to show us how to live in light of the beauty of God and his creation. The fact is, our eyes, 
physical eyes, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind, however you want to understand it, how we perceive the world has been darkened by sin. We're broken. We don't see things clearly. And creation, although created good, is tainted by sin. The work of Jesus in our lives, because of his coming as a baby, his death on the cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit, he is able to illuminate our eyes to see once again. John Calvin said it like this. He said, For by the Scripture as our guide and teacher, the Lord not only makes those things plain which would otherwise escape our notice, but almost compels us to behold them as if he had assisted our dull sight with spectacles. In other words, what Calvin is saying is, when you have the Spirit of God, and you have eyes to see, then everything in this world, the things that seem plain, the things that might escape your notice, good and bad, you feel almost compelled to behold them to delight in them, to see them as beautiful and be filled with joy because of their beauty. Joy can be our motivation in this life. This is the whole ministry of a guy named John Piper who's been radically influential in the lives of many people, probably in this room, definitely in this church, in my own life for sure. And his whole life's work, his whole ministry, his job as an author, as a writer, as a speaker, as a pastor can be summed up in this phrase that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And seeing the world as God sees the world will lead us to be satisfied in him. So let joy be the motivation of your life, but not joy simply in the things of this world, joy in God. Pursue with everything that you have as much joy as you possibly can contain, but let that joy come from the source that will never, ever run dry, that will never fail. We recognize that Jesus in his earthly ministry was motivated by joy. So let's join him this Advent season in good times and in bad and easy circumstances and difficult ones. Let's know and recognize and choose to behold and delight in the goodness of our joyful God and follow in the footsteps of our Savior. Listen, listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin clings so closely, and let us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Students, you don't have to live in sorrow, in shame, in guilt, in frustration. The Christian life doesn't free you from those things, but you don't have to be marked by those things anymore because the fruit of the Spirit in your life includes joy. So my prayer for all of us 
is that we might see just a little bit more clearly today than ever before that God is offering us in Him infinite joy. Let's pray. Father, You are the giver of all good and perfect things. You are the one, the Father of lights, from whom all these good things come down. And Lord, we recognize that in this life, broken as it is by sin and the fall, You are still on the throne. You are still ruling and reigning as King. And all things that come to pass come to us through Your good, joyful, loving hands. So in this Advent season, as we think about Jesus, the little baby boy who grows up to die on a cross for sinners, we remember the joy that comes with the proclamation of His advent. The angel proclaiming to the shepherd, I bring you good news of great joy. So Father, in our own lives, in our own hearts, let the good news of the gospel take away fear and replace it with joy. Would we behold you as supremely beautiful, as supremely delightful, so that we might see your work in our lives as a cause for joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.